0: 1890. The number 1890 has been perplexing me lately. 1890 could be a lot of things. It was the year that Wyoming and Iowa were admitted into the United States. It is also how many miles it takes to drive from LA to St. Louis. For some strange reason, when I think of the number 1890, I think of hamburgers and water. And I know what you're thinking. What is this guy talking about? Well, 1890 is also how many gallons of water are required to raise one pound of beef. That's right, it takes 1890 gallons of water to make one single delicious pound of beef. That is a ton of water. Actually, it's a little under eight tons of water. And to put that into perspective, that's enough water to satisfy your daily drinking requirements for six and a half years. Today on What Are You Talking About?, we explore the complex relationship between food and water. The big question we're trying to answer, should we stop eating foods that consume a lot of water? Stay with us to find out. A year ago, I never thought of food in terms of water usage. I was much more focused on how many calories a sandwich had, or if the bread I bought was made with high-fructose corn syrup. I'd ask myself every week, will this low-fat ice cream make me fat? But thanks to the drought in California, my attention has turned outward, and instead of asking, is this healthy for me, I'm instead asking, is this food I'm eating good for the environment?
1: The relationship between food and water seems to be a topic that you can't really escape now because of all the media swirling around it. For those that haven't heard, a lot of this buzz started around California almond farmers amidst the drought because of how water intensive they are to grow. To put a number on that, it takes 1,929 gallons
0: of water to grow one pound of almonds. That's more than beef! So you can understand why people in California are wondering if allocating huge amounts of fresh water to these delicious
1: nuts is a good idea. And I think the argument extends beyond nuts and beef to all thirsty crops and livestock. Especially if you're in an arid region like California, New Mexico, Colorado, and Texas. But to get a good understanding of the situation,
0: maybe we need to take a step back to look at food in general and the respective water requirements. This
1: raises the question of how much water do we use growing food? And the answer is? A lot. Agriculture worldwide consumes between 70 and 85% of all fresh water with that number being closer to, like, the 70% range in the U.S.
0: And as the population grows larger and larger, we can expect our food and water consumption to also increase. And while this may seem obvious, it has huge impacts on our food and water security. Some scientists estimate that by 2050, we might need to triple the amount of water we use for growing crops in order to meet the increased food demand.
1: Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking... That tripling of global water requirements for food is ludicrous. The population won't triple by 2050. So how would we use that much more water? But you have to remember that the populations in other countries like China and India are growing really fast. And on top of that, they also have a growing middle class who's consuming more food and whose diet is transitioning towards more water intensive foods. And while in the U.S. we probably won't have
0: to triple our water use for growing food, our population and water consumption will definitely increase. So even if our use increases by 10 or 20%, that still means we need to withdraw more water in the future than we are right now, which puts more pressure on our already strained water supplies.
1: I am already a vegetarian. But when I became a vegetarian, I promised I would not be that kind of douchey vegetarian that convinces other people to be vegetarians. So that puts the impetus on you, Zach. Should the people listening to this podcast become vegetarians? Well, fruits and
0: veggies do require less water than meat. For example, both potatoes and broccoli require 50 times less water per pound than beef and almonds. And oranges, about 30 times less. And for all you carnivores out there you'll be happy to know that not all meat is super water-intensive. Chicken and eggs both come in on the lower end, requiring only about one-fourth the water the beef needs. Now I could go on and on listing how much water it takes to grow peas, corn, rice, or apples, but thinking of food like this sort of leads you into a trap. Because while it's really easy to compare foods based on their respective water requirements and then try to relate that to the environmental impacts, this relationship doesn't tell us the whole story you miss out on probably the most important facet of growing food, the economics. And this wouldn't be a huge problem if there was an economic incentive to be environmentally friendly. But in this instance, they seem to be poised at opposite ends of the spectrum. And when that happens, sadly, the economic benefits usually outweigh the environmental impacts. To illustrate this, let's go back and look at that number 1890 again. Where does
1: it come from? Are cows just really, really thirsty all the time? Well, if you're a cow, your diet consists of a lot of grassy meals. One type that seems to be pretty popular among cows is alfalfa, but alfalfa isn't the most modest crop in terms of water use. It's actually one of the more thirsty crops that you could grow. In California, alfalfa is the second thirstiest crop, the first being rice, and along with pasture, consumes 15% of the fresh water. But alfalfa is just such good cattle feed in terms of nutrition. It's high in protein and low fiber content. And when you compare it to alternative sources like hay, alfalfa is actually cheaper per pound of protein. So from a farmer's perspective, using alfalfa makes sense economically
0: because you'll grow bigger cows for less money than if you used hay. And this is sort of the problem. Even though alfalfa uses more water to grow than hay, In the end, using more water is actually cheaper. It's such a crazy counterintuitive thing to hear, but if you sit down and think about it for a second, it makes sense. Using more water means you can grow more crops to fatten up your livestock and make a larger profit. But using
1: less water? Well, it's the opposite. You'll produce less and earn less. So there's this huge economic incentive to use as much water as you can, because let's face it, water is really cheap. And This is the same thing that we see with almond farmers in California. Oh, yes, the almonds. Although the poor nuts in California are getting a
0: lot of criticism for how much water they use, there is such a huge demand for nuts that farmers are making a lot of money, especially pistachios, which net almost 10 times as much as other nuts. For example, between 2000 and 2010, almonds and pistachio production jumped 54% in California alone, pulling in $4.4 billion a year. Taking into account all the other downstream products that you can use almonds for, such as almond butter and almond milk, they can be worth even more. The economics is a huge driver for what farmers grow. NPR's Planet Money did a great podcast episode on the drought in California. Residents in Porterville have no water because the farmers downstream of them are sucking the wells dry. But it's not really the farmers' fault. And in the episode, they point out that the only rational thing for the farmers to do is to use more water, not conserve it. If one farmer chooses not to use as much water, then in all likelihood, other farmers downstream will. Here is Robert Krolwich and Stacey Vanek-Smith from NPR's Planet Money.
1: Economists have a term. For this race for a scarce resource, this dilemma, and you've probably heard it even if you haven't taken an economics class. It's called the tragedy of the commons. If you have a shared resource, say uh, a meadow where your cows graze or an underground lake, people will use as much of it as they can. They will use a public resource until it's gone. And the reason that they call this a tragedy is not that there are any bad guys in the scenario, it's that actually everybody is acting rationally. It's just that what is good for the individual and what is good for the group are totally different. So getting back to the point here, should we stop eating water-intensive foods like beef and nuts for the sake of the environment? Well, if you're asking yourself whether or not to chew on that cheeseburger or down some almonds, maybe you're actually asking the wrong question. There's a research center called the Pacific Institute, which is a nonprofit research center in
0: California that has actually won quite a few awards. The Institute's water program director, Heather Cooley, is quoted saying, A shift towards a meat-driven diet does put pressure on water resources, but not eating meat is not going to solve California's water problems, and it's not something that will solve this drought. If you're concerned about environmental impacts of food on agriculture, Cooley argues, in a quote, a better approach is to protect rivers, streams, and aquifers to make sure that we are not taking too much out of the system and price water accordingly. By doing that, you will change what farmers grow and where they grow." End quote.
1: You know, this is kind of a bittersweet answer. I wish that not eating beef or almonds uh, would have more of a direct impact on the water problem, like turning off your sprinklers or, as we mentioned in the last episode, turning off your lights when you're not using them. But in those instances, My contribution would be direct and noticeable, but with the food and water, it's more complicated. And at the same time, it's sort of a relief because, honestly, I don't think I could ever give up almonds. Beef, yes, but almonds, no. Almonds, just too yummy. Let us know what you thought about today's episode on Twitter at
0: waterpodcast or Facebook or email us at Podcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced by Zach Stoll with help from Joe Charbonnet, Skylar Herzog, and Scott Miller, in association with Renewit, the NSF's research center on reinventing the nation's urban water infrastructure. Check it out at renewit.org. That's R E N U W I T.org. This has been the What Are You Talking About podcast. Stay wet, everyone. Don't
1: go